Imagine it like putting Lego pieces together. Your life can be whatever you want it to be. There are so many options and so many things that are free. Going for a walk is free. So I think that we need to remove the limits, a lot of these limits that we have in our mind. Oh no, but I can't because I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I have kids. I have too many responsibilities. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening in the world right now that almost no one knows about yet. Yes, the world is still an amazing place. And on this podcast, we will introduce you to the people who are making it that way. You'll hear us shine a light on the most remarkable innovators who are tackling some of the world's most vexing problems, and they still think the future is bright for all of us. We need to know what they know. And that's why we're here today with an amazing thought leader, Eleanor Salmon. Oh, I've had the pleasure of chatting with Eleanor a few times, and during our conversations, I always come away with this sense that anything is possible. She has the most remarkable story, which she's going to share with us here today in just a few minutes. She's written a book called Finding Rhythm, an international dance journey. <laughs> But her life started out very, very different. Eleanor is a French-British thought leader whose work early on gave her wide and deep connections on happiness at the global policy level, at the UN and UNESCO, in diplomacy and education. And then her life took a hard right turn, lots of ups and downs. And in the end, today, she is choosing to use happiness as the baseline for all her decisions. And she's got some amazing practical tips for us going forward. So I know you'll enjoy our conversation. Eleanor, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Linda. It's so lovely to be here. And thank you for such a lovely introduction. Oh, well, I tell you, I, I just, <laughs> we've laughed about it, Eleanor and I, a few times that we just instantly found this pathway where we had par such parallel ideas about what's possible and how we can choose our perspective in the most remarkable circumstances. Here's one of the things that I wrote down that Eleanor said that I've thought about a lot. She says, I plan my work around my life. And if you, we all think about it, most of us do the opposite. So using happiness for every decision, I mean, you've got to rewind and help us understand your story. Oh, wow. I feel like this is a two-part question. So first of all, I'll start with my story and then I'll talk about how I plan okay. my work around my life. So my story began back in 2016. I was living in Bangkok, Thailand, working for UNESCO as a happiness researcher. And after a series of personal losses, I lost three people that I loved very much um, in just over six months. I was terribly unhappy. I was giving keynote speeches on happiness. I was publishing research on happiness, yet I was unhappy and I realized that it couldn't be this way. And so I made a decision that completely changed my life. It was after talking to a friend, as I was in the depths of sadness, I asked her, what would you do if you could do anything without the limits of time or money? The two limits that we often place on ourselves, of course. And she said, ah, oh, I would go swimming with whales in Papua New Guinea. And I thought, wow, okay, that's very specific. But I didn't expect her to return the question to me. And when she asked me, I thought, what would I do? I've been so consumed with sadness. I've been working really hard. I can feel the first stages of burnout. 
And I closed my eyes, went deep into my heart, and I imagined myself feeling free and alive and like I was living my life fully. And the way that looked like to me, I love learning new languages. I've been speaking Spanish since I was a teenager. I was like, I'll be speaking Spanish. I'll be in the streets. There will be music. There will be community. And there will be dancing. And I thought I would quit my job to learn how to dance in Latin America. And so what started with a, just an answer to a question actually grew into a full itinerary through the Americas, dancing through eight different countries, learning 18 dances in just 10 months and testing this hypothesis of happiness through dance by understanding the perspective from people along the way from these different countries and what happiness means to them. And it completely changed my life to the point that to go to part two of your question, I now realize that my life comes first, my happiness comes first, and I plan work around my non-negotiables and my happiness. Okay. (laughs) We want to hear about developing these non-negotiables. Few things I want to get in place first, because you've really improved my way of thinking on this too. It's this non-negotiable thing that is so hard for us to come up with first and then to stick with, because these times out there, it just, everything seems so unpredictable. Just when you make a resolution that you're going to do it this way, it seems like you get hit by a wave where you can't do anything else, but just keep your head above water. Talk to us about how this evolved. I think that what you're saying is completely true. Very often for many of us, we living in survival mode. We're just trying to keep going. But there's one thing that I think we all need to be reminded of is that we can always say no to anything, to anyone. And everything is a choice. I mean, of course, some of us are, some are living in in very complicated and difficult situations, but a simple example would be just saying no and not accepting anything else. For instance, if your morning meditation practice is something that you need to be happy, then that is a non-negotiable or having a walk outside or these kind of examples or, or going to a dance class as it is for me. We often think that we have to constantly adapt ourselves to others. And saying no is actually quite unselfish sometimes because you're going to show up for people in a much better way. You're going to be able to share your joy and your happiness in a much better way when you're saying yes to things that light you up and saying no to the things that don't. This is a very, very important insight. I think that, you know, we complain about how the world, how people aren't nice and how topsy-turvy the world is, but I don't think that's true. I think most people are trying to kind of turn themselves inside out for others. And maybe that's sort of part of the equation that you're that you're pointing to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we we often think that we have to do things. We have there are a lot of key words here. I have to do this rather than I want to do this or I get to do this. I should be doing this or I could. But should we be using all these shoulds everywhere? I think that there are a lot of societal constructs and ideas that tell us what we should be doing, but only we know what is right for us and for the people that we love. So I think that it's very important to develop that trust in ourselves and know that our judgment is is really worth listening to. Yeah, and then there's the whole conforming to what we think other people. I mean, I, I had a really young, an 18-year-old thought leader tell me when I was interviewing him, he had like two TED Talks before he was 19 years old and he's a brainiac and lovely, lovely kid. And he looked right at me and he said, Linda, I tell people my age not to run their their ideas and their life paths through their parents. And at first I was like stiffened. 
And then he goes, you know why? Because all the people you love want you to be safe. They want you to do the safest, the thing that protects your future and makes it super secure. They don't share your passions. Our passions are unique to each and every single one of us. So they won't, they won't necessarily support your passions. They're going to support your safety and security. Yeah, I, I really like uh, this topic. And it's something that I was just speaking recently with a friend. You know, this culture of I will be happy when I have saved X amount of money. I will be happy when I have bought a house. I will be happy when I get that promotion. What if we could choose to be happy now? And so one thing that is a bit drastic is I think saving, by the way, is very important. Don't get me wrong. But I see people working behind their screens all day, taking on additional work because they want to save to then enjoy their life in the future. But what about enjoying your life now? And I myself save. I think saving is very important, but I could save more. I choose not to because I want to enjoy my life now. I think that somewhere along the way we get lost. This is a typical example of, but this is what we should be doing. But says who? Says who? Mm. And we often don't, our people aren't thinking about us as much as we think they are <laughs> when we make decisions that to please others we're, or because we think people will think less of us. I mean, you must have had some real soul searching or some pressure from the outside world to give up this, this UN position and just go dance. I mean, that must have been the big word in that sentence is just. I'm sure your your family in circles went, what? She's just going to dance? But you look at it completely the other way, right? Yeah. No, I was I was very fortunate in that my mother, for instance, thought it was a fabulous idea. She oh. always supported me to be creative and engage in the arts. Uh, as a child, I was very, I loved writing. I loved drawing. I loved dancing. I loved music. And then I became a policy analyst and I mean, and researcher. And I mean, that really comes from my desire to understand things deeply. And also because I want to have social impact. I think that now I found the perfect way to combine everything together. Now, of course, people thought, wow, okay, this is, are you sure you want to do that? Because this is a job that many people would want. It's really difficult to get that kind of position. And the thing is, though, and it's interesting, I, um, I talk about this in, in, my, in the first chapter, the first two chapters of my book, Finding Rhythm, is the kind of fears that I overcame as I was preparing to leave my job because I had a job that I loved. I really, really loved my job, but I had to choose myself in that moment. And so I had a number of fears of, will anybody take me seriously after having been a keynote speaker and published all these research studies on social and emotional development and happiness if I leave to dance? What if I never get employed again? What if I end up penniless? What if I am simply ridiculous? Because I have to clarify that I didn't know how to dance when I embarked on this journey. I was a complete beginner at 30 years old and learning as an adult is always hard because adults don't like to do hard things, which is actually why I went on this journey because learning, like growing outside of the comfort zone is really important for our happiness. And you know what? Eventually when I did, the first thing I did is I, I gave extra notice and I explained that I wanted to be in Latin America. Everyone knew that I loved Latin culture because I speak Spanish. And so this wasn't really a surprise to anyone, but I never mentioned the dance part because somewhere I felt a sense of shame. But actually now that many years have gone past, I think, why should I be ashamed of something that makes me so happy? And when I eventually shared it on social media, my old colleagues and bosses were overjoyed. The feedback was wonderful. They thought it was great. In fact, they were like, I wish I'd done it myself. So 
you know, I think a lot of the time we have this fear of we have to appear serious and we, but actually everyone would like to take a year to go and do something fun like dance or paint or I don't know, learn an instrument because in the end, that's our essence. It's who we are and we are not our job. This is something that I always talk about. We are so much more than our job title. We are creative human beings with something to put out in the world, with creative outlets, with activities that bring us joy. And, and that's what life is for. You know, that, and that, that point really probably hits home for lots and lots of people is that it, it is pretty easy to fall into the trap of defining yourself by your job or your title or how far you've climbed up the ladder in the given place and to just turn your back on all that and, and uh, start something new. I have this concept though, because I did a similar thing. I was a dentist for 30 years and, and, or 25 when I started the goodness exchange and no one could imagine what the heck I was doing. And I think though, one thing leads to another. It's not like we left everything behind. We took it all and we walked with it into this new space. Talk to us about that concept of the fact that everything you did is still just as meaningful as it ever was. It's just informing a whole new thing that you're, that you're exploring. Absolutely. And there are, there are two points I want to share on that. First of all, your experience never goes away. So say you've accumulated, in my case, I had over 10 years experience in what I was doing. Those 10 years have not disappeared just because I've taken one year off. That time is still there. The knowledge is still there. It's not gone. And then second of all, so in my case in particular, I was studying happiness. I was reading a lot of different research that had been done on happiness, but I wasn't actually living it myself. I was reading about it. I was writing about it. I was speaking about it, but I was not living it. And what was incredible is this dance journey never would have been the same if it was not for my research background and for all the theories that I had learned. Because with every dance that I learned, every step, I was like, oh, Angela Duckworth's theory of grit. I can feel that right now, you know, or, oh, that's Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. That's why this is happening. And I kind of started applying all these different theories to my experience as an adult learning to dance. And I realized something quite incredible. I was embodying the science of happiness through, I was channeling it. I was living it. I was being it rather than just writing and speaking and reading about it. And that's the, that's the hope and the possibility for all of us once we uncover and then start cultivating what we're uniquely built to contribute. Don't you think that this is, this is not something unique to you? Absolutely not. I think that all of us have a journey like this in, in, in each of us. I mean, of course, not everyone can, I saved for a very long time in order to do this journey, but I think that there are ways to incorporate it in daily life. I think that everyone has something unique to offer the world. It's just about finding the space and the time to identify what that is exactly. Mm -hmm. And that comes from getting to know yourself, understanding your values, understanding what lights you up. For example, something that I do is I, I work, um, I offer programs to develop people's happiness blueprint. And when I design a happiness blueprint, I look at the basis of happiness science, which is positive psychology. You have 24 character strengths and there's a free survey online. Anyone can do it. It's a VIA survey, it's called. And then I, I really look at people's values and kind of break it down and see what kind of activities could bring that out because we want to embody those values. That's when we are living a truly aligned life and when we're truly being ourselves. When we're making decisions based on our values, when we're living and breathing them, it's so incredibly important. 
And I think anyone can do it. And it doesn't need to be a one-year trip around the world. This joy might be hiding in your kitchen or in your garden or even just down the street in your local community. And it may be something you already you already carve out time for, but not nearly enough to feed your soul, don't you think? Exactly, yeah. And I really like what the way that you describe it as feeding your soul. Is working 13 hours a day feeding our soul? I don't think so. Unless you're working on something that is so completely aligned that I would really encourage people to go off the screens, go in nature and move and not be sitting. You know, they say that sitting is the next epidemic, the next smoking, because we're always sitting down and we're not designed as human beings to always be sitting down, which is another reason why I'm always advocating for dance, because I think we need to just be in our bodies. So tell me, um, so we're dancing around the edges of what we're hearing a lot about in the news called the Great Resignation. Mm-hmm. So you were once said to me that everyone deserves a meaningful life. And you even wrote a, bla- a blog post called, Here's Why Everyone is Quitting Their Job. Mm-hmm. Like, Talk to us about where we might see ourselves in, in that movement. And then what are the possibilities? And then we can go on to what are the possibilities? Yes, I'm actually really excited about the Great Resignation. I think we're coming onto a really big change. People have had enough. People had a glimpse of what their lives could be like when they have a bit more freedom over their time, over their schedules, over where they're based. I think that from a very high-level perspective, the world of work is structured still around industrial times. It is not adapted to the world of today. And with the advent of technological innovations, more and more jobs are going to be replaced by machines. So we should focus on where our competitive advantage is as human beings, which is through creativity and so many other things. The problem is that there is something that is wrong with a lot of working models, I feel. And one aspect in particular that I think is really important to bring up is that people don't quit because of their salary. They don't quit, you know, because of their job title. They usually quit their managers and they quit their managers because they don't feel valued. They feel replaceable. They don't have a sense of belonging. They feel their work is just not really making an impact. Either they're ignored or they're micromanaged. And this is really, really an issue because there are some very deep conversations on happiness at work at the top levels of leadership, but there isn't so much at the mid-level management where people are actually managing human beings, entire teams of humans who come home every night stressed, feeling really depressed from their lives when actually if they were managed in a better way or if they felt a sense of belonging a sense of appreciation, a sense that their creativity or their ideas were valued, it could be very different. So what I'm thinking with the Great Resignation is that there needs to be a change in the workplace. I really believe that empathy is at the center of management. We need to, as managers, encourage well-being of our teams because the more you encourage their happiness and well-being, the more productive they will be. People always think there's a trade-off between happiness and productivity. And it, and when I was studying this in education, for instance, some education systems thought, why would we prioritize learner well-being? Because it might be at the expense of academic output. This very much relates to adults as well. They're not mutually exclusive. The more a learner loves to learn, the better they're going to perform. And I think that's true, that that love for what you do and that that going beyond, uh, going you know, going the extra mile comes from from being in that that kind of flow that you can only be in when you're doing something that makes your heart sore. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the comments I want to make and get your reaction to is um, when we're in these middle manager relationships, you know, I know that most most of the founders I've met, most of the CEOs I met who are also founders, they have this incredible passion that that they can share every day with the people that they're closest with. But as soon as an organization gets big enough to have a lot of middle managers, that connection, that appreciation for for knowing the work of the people that are advancing your dream, that can, that get, that's a disconnect. And there's not a lot of leadership training going on in this world. Yeah, absolutely. I like what you said about the people that are building your dream, especially in the private sector. This is the thing. It always started off with somebody's dream. And if everyone, I think for all of us, we need to feel that we are fulfilling a purpose, that we're contributing to something meaningful and important. And if companies in, invested more time in events that could help raise awareness of just how valuable people's work is, it could really be a game changer. Totally. And I think we're getting there. I, I see this thing that I call the gratitude economy bubbling up this way that we, some of us, many of us are seeking to do business, whether it's with a dry cleaner or a tennis shoe company or whatever, we're seeking to do business with others who we are grateful for. Mm-hmm. And I can see this workplace situation changing very rapidly as people, you know, demand that companies walk their talk and that it's not just a slogan on the website and, and all mm-hmm. that. So let's, let's go into some of the things that you talk about in the book, that I found so, so empowering. You talk about designing a life, mm-hmm. how we make decisions and choices. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I think that it's a very empowering process when you put yourself in a situation. I do this with journaling, for instance, designing your ideal life. What are you doing with your time? Where are you? With who are you? Trying to visualize what that actually looks like. and. I think that also developing self-awareness to question our choices, that's a very good example as well, because you could, for instance, in one day say yes to every invitation, or you could think, what is going to make me happiest? So for instance, sometimes it might be to not go out and socialize and instead spend time with yourself reading a book, but we need to understand what it is that brings us joy. And I think that we often have this feeling of helplessness, that actually our lives are in the hands of others, whether it's in the hands of society or our partner or employers most of the time. But actually, what if we could choose? You can always leave your job. You can always change where you live. You can always start a new hobby. This is all within your power. Now, the question is, why don't we do it already? Because it's uncomfortable. Anything different is uncomfortable and adults don't like to do hard things. We don't want to do anything that we're not already really good at. But actually by mixing things up, and that's how we grow. It's how we learn. And for example, I'm trying to think of someone might think, okay, my ideal life is I work from home so that I can sit on the terrace and I can feel the breeze on my skin when I work because that's something that makes me feel free. I don't work more than six hours a day. And every single morning I go for a walk and listen to a podcast. And then every evening I connect with someone on a soul level. I mean, imagine it like putting Lego pieces together. Your life can be whatever you want it to be. There are so many options and so many things that are free. Going for a walk is free. So I think that we need to remove the limits, a lot of these limits that we have in our mind. Oh no, but I can't because I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I have kids. I have too many responsibilities. 
the first step that I recommend to everyone is just let yourself imagine without any restrictions first. Just don't worry. It doesn't matter if you need a million dollars to fulfill that dream, write it. More often than not, you will realize that the things that really light you up don't cost that much. You just have to let yourself imagine without any limits. And then you'll find a way to make it happen. Okay. We've got to come come through a whole bunch of practical tips like that. Let me take a break. And then when we come back, we'll start talking about these sort of head shifts that we've got to make. Let's take a break and we'll come back. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight and innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded the Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete, positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee-deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems, and yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Okay, we're back with thought leader Eleanor Salmon. Oh my gosh, you're really helping us understand the choices. I mean, this is the bottom line. I think we all feel so penned in by the lives we've built and the future we thought we were shooting for. Mm-hmm. Did you have something like that out in front of you that you'd always were, were trying to gain on and then suddenly that just evaporated or was it sort of one step uh, leads to another? Like sometimes it can be, you can really commit yourself to something and find that it the, that you, you don't really want it in the end. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was very clear since I was probably around 15 that I really wanted to work for the UN. I imagined myself getting a lifetime contract and dedicating my life to policy issues that were important to me. And that would just be it. Uh, I knew I needed an international lifestyle because I love speaking different languages and living in different countries. But I thought that was the ultimate success, just getting promoted up in the ranks of the UN until and then being retired and that's it. And my dream was, I'm going to get into the UN by the time I'm 30. And I got in at 27 and I quit at 30. But I very, very happily worked for the UN as an independent consultant. I just redesigned the way that I was doing things. So this is what it comes down to. It doesn't have to be a, I'm going to quit my job and go join an ashram. It's really about redesigning, reprioritizing. Like you said, saying no. Give us, can you think of some some more practical tips on how we kind of free ourselves from our original notions? Oh, wow. That's a really big concept. I think that the most 
important is to question, always question things. Do I really need to save X amount? What if, I mean, let's say you save, I'm trying, I'll just make up, I'll say 1,000 because it's a nice round number. Say you save $1,000 a month. What if you saved 800 and spent 200 on something that makes you really happy every month? That's a really simple thing. It could even be $2. I personally have a happiness fund. Every month I carve a budget that is exclusively for my happiness. So to give you an example, in January, on Tuesday, you know, I have my own schedule. I have my own hours. It's been a very busy week. And the day that I could take off was Tuesday, which I call my happiness day. And I chose to do a chocolate making workshop. And that was paid for by my happiness fund because that makes me really happy. I learned how to make chocolate been to bar and got to eat chocolate as well, which also makes me happy. But it was really a choice for a lot of us. It's no, but I could have saved that extra amount. But actually, what if, you know, the only time that is certain is the present. It could, you know, you can always make more money, but you're never going to get that time back. You're never going to get your youth back. And I'm choosing at 35 years old now to enjoy my life as a I would say semi-retired person because I have an energy and an interest in activities that I simply won't want to do at 65. So that's one practical tip I can give is have a happiness budget and be very intentional. Question what you do, be intentional. Every month I set an intention and then I kind of theme things around it. So for example, right now my theme is innovation. I want, you know, I'm thinking about how can I be the architecture of my how can I be the architect of my own happiness? And I'm going to go building and creating and yeah, just imagining what kind of activities make me happy. What kind of people do I want to be with? What kind of book shall I read to suit that theme? So number one question, if something is really that important to you, because for instance, now I'm, I'm an independent consultant. I don't have an official job title and yeah, it's not as fancy as before, but it's just a title. It's just a job title. And it allows me to have my own schedule, my own free time. So that decision came from evaluating what mattered the most. And to me, the most valuable currency that exists is time. I had a a thought leader once tell me that she budgets her time before she budgets her money. And she always saves the time, much like you're describing her savings when she does time is saved for herself, for her core, what what lights her up. And I can see that that's probably fundamental because a lot of times, especially during the pandemic, our weeks just sort of unfold in some hair on fire way every day. At least it could go that way for me very, very easily. Mm-hmm. No, we could easily just let life go by. And even when we have free time, it's so easy to just still be behind a screen, even checking all the newsletters we receive or scrolling on social media or just watching Netflix. But actually that time is there to also read a book or go for a walk or just sit and be with ourselves or dance or be silly or whatever it is that, that makes you happy. Well, and let's talk about this, the people we spend time with, because sometimes I think that's a factor bigger than we realize. And now, maybe not now, because most of us are not spending time with just willy-nilly anyone. But I think if we choose the people that are fun, if we choose the people that have open minds and are are not so self-conscious, so they're willing to, like you say, be silly or be experimental or be whatever, talk to me about Talk to, me about, talk to me about the people part of your journey. Yeah, I love this part because I think that the people always make the place. And that's actually a line in, in my book, Finding Rhythm. What I found absolutely incredible was 
along the way in my journey, I met people that were very different from myself from very different backgrounds. And I was continuously touched by the amount of kindness that I came across. And by dancing with complete strangers, you have to really trust. You have to develop trust with a total stranger. And science actually proves this, that we become very happy when we've had a connection with a stranger, sometimes even more than someone that we know really well. And so these kind of mundane, small interactions are actually very important. And I always encourage people in their daily life, wherever it is that they are in the world, ask people questions about their lives. What is it they like? What lights them up? What makes them happy? Or for instance, uh, what's their favorite dish at that restaurant? What is their favorite restaurant? Why ask TripAdvisor when you can ask a local, you know? And I think that that is one aspect is forming connections with strangers only gives us more faith in humanity and the amount of goodness that there is in the world. This is a very important concept for our times. If all we see is the barrage of stories, what we get told about the negative parts of humanity in the news, and then we see it over and over again on social media. What we have to remember is the news is only a tiny slice of reality. (laughs) Tiny, tiny, tiny. And if you get out there and experience it, this is the reason for this podcast, is that I recognized early on that the stories we're being told about ourselves and the outside world are just plain limited. (laughs) Very limited. Absolutely. And there's there's a famous theory, I think it's, is it Steven Pinker? You're not sure. Yeah. That yeah. actually our world has never been safer or happier, but unfortunately the news is getting more negative. Why? I mean, this dates back all the way to philosophy from the from Machiavelli the Prince, that fear is the best way to control. And also itself, because ever since we were cave people, we were running away from that mammoth. And fear is something that we are constantly on high alert looking out for. So it is what sells. But we have to believe that there is just so much goodness out there that people aren't all out to get you. And actually, when people are good, it brings us an incredible sense of love and belonging, which is something that we really need in order to be happy. Mm, Absolutely. So tell me how this actually looked. You would, did you decide the place you're going to go first? Did you have a connection somewhere first? Did you have a dance you wanted to learn first? Tell me the mechanics of what you actually did. So the first step was I would choose the dance that I wanted to learn. And it was very important for me to learn that dance in its country of origin because I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted to be a student. I wanted uh, locals to teach me and to learn from them. And so whenever I arrived in a new place, I would contact different dance schools and I would share my story and I would choose the best answer in the sense that whoever found my story to resonate the most with them, I knew we would be a good match. And I was consistently amazed I even tried schools that, for instance, in Mexico, I learned the National Dance of Mexico with the National Folkloric Ballet, the Amalia Hernandez, which is the most prestigious troupe with their school. And I remember getting on the phone to the director and I thought, there's no way they're even going to consider me. And he said, oh, what a wonderful choice you've made to choose how to dance. Because actually, people who dance have this inner understanding among themselves. They know that they're in on it on happiness. And that's why I would always encourage everyone to dance the level of fulfillment that you have and for them to be able to share that with others and to also share their culture was something that they really liked. And they said, of course, come by our school. You're very welcome. We can arrange for you to have classes. 
And so sometimes I would get recommendations for other places, but it was very important for me to have a really positive connection. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier about we we also can choose who we spend time with because we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. It's so important that some of us think, oh no, I should stay friends with my childhood friend because we've been friends for 30 years. But actually you don't have to. Nobody is obligated to anyone else. Our values change over time. Our priorities change over time. And sometimes I like to think of it as that we have different chapters of our life. And there are certain people that we join in one chapter and then separate and maybe join in another chapter later on. But we, the people we surround ourselves with form a very important part of our perspective and ultimately our happiness. I could not agree more with you. I think that's one of the, of course, I always look for opportunity before I look for threat. So I'm looking at the pandemic and saying, this is an amazing opportunity for all of us to form different circles, either while we're in the pandemic, if we're comfortable with it, or we can figure out how to do it safely. But certainly when the pandemic starts to open up again, we don't have to go back to where we were. Mm-hmm. We've gotten an opportunity to, to break a little bit and choose people that bring us alive. Mm-hmm. So I, I love this. I just want to pause on this concept that you would call a place or would you visit personally? Because didn't it work out that you were picking someone who was was not indifferent? If you got somebody on the phone or the person that you talked to at the place you called was indifferent or not excited about life or what you were, the story you were saying, you just moved on. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I would go in person, sometimes I would call, but I would always try and have a conversation to see, because also for them, maybe I'm not the right match for them if my story is not encouraging, but what I found really wonderful was the teachers I had who then were, you know, they were professional dancers, of course, but they were inspired by my story to then do other things as well. And it also made them really happy to see my process as a complete beginner. Because what I did during, because I had limited time in each place, I said, look, I don't know anything. I have zero knowledge of this dance style. I'm here for a week. Teach me what you can. And then we're making a video at the end. And the idea that I had to make a video for each dance, which are all on my YouTube channel, Bailando Journey, that's what I am on social media. Having the pressure of that video was really not about the video looking that good. In fact, a lot of my videos are not, I mean, they're really fun, but that's not where I dance the best. Or sometimes I can't even focus on smiling because I'm just trying not to topple over and like I'm just trying to keep my balance. But the reason why I did that is because I wanted to give myself 100%. I wanted to completely dive in, immerse myself, and basically let that person guide me and see life through their eyes for some time. Now, Eleanor, that concept right there is so available to us all in whatever aspect of life we may that make make us sore, whether it's guitar lessons, whether it's bailing hay, whether it's fishing, whether it's, there's just no end to the people who are masters of something out there that truly could not think of anything better than sharing their love of something with another. Absolutely. And I think that we need to open our eyes to these things and, and also experiment. I think it's also important not to kind of box ourselves into one hobby or one interest. For instance, a lot of people say, oh, but I have two left feet and I don't like dancing. I'm like, still try it. 
because actually everyone can quite clumsy myself. And as I said, my stability isn't the best, but I still learned it. And when people see me dance now, they think, oh yeah, but you're really advanced. And I said, yeah, but you should have seen me at the beginning. And I think this is a really big learning is that actually anything is possible. We can learn anything. We just have to put in the time and the effort. And I do think we have to search for great teachers. I mean, you know, it's it's a two-way street. When, have you ever heard that expression, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear? And vice versa a lot of the times. But gosh, if we don't even make the time to discover and then cultivate what makes our heart sore, it, it all comes down to that. It's making the choices into our being able to do that. So Talk to me a little bit about one of the things that I remember from a previous conversation with you is a really, really big picture of hope for the world. You spend a few minutes telling us about what you know is going on at the UN, the sustainability goals and the happiness goals. There's like a there's like a place carved out in the goal setting at the UN for happiness. Talk to us a little bit about that, because this is big picture hope for us all. Absolutely. I think that, you know, we may, there's a lot of distrust in the world and and it's easy to get bogged down by politics and, and different opinions, but actually there are people out there working to create a better world. And so the Sustainable Development Goals, also referred to as the SDGs, were launched in 2015. Countries have to achieve these goals by 2030, but it doesn't just end at 2030. What I really liked about the Sustainable Development Goals is it really has this aspect of well-being and kind of throughout all of the goals. So for instance, SDG 4 is education and target 7 is about ensuring that learners can develop global citizenship, education for sustainable development, a culture of peace and tolerance. And this is where happiness lies. But even beyond that, there is a UN resolution on happiness that actually states that happiness is a human right. And this was instigated by the country of Bhutan, which has a measure of gross national happiness instead of gross domestic product. So what I found really interesting is since this movement started, there has since been a world happiness report, which is really trying to turn to look beyond economic outputs. We've constantly been looking again from these industrial times, how are countries doing economically? But actually, how are we doing in terms of our wellness? What are the factors that make us happy? And I do think, you know, the world of work is one of them. Education, number one, of course, because we're preparing the leaders of the future. Health in terms of mental mental health, loneliness epidemic. This is costing governments a fortune because there, there is really a loneliness epidemic out there. So this is something that countries are really starting to prioritize. I, I even read that in the UK, doctors are prescribing dance lessons because it really does help people with their mental health. You could even look, for instance, SDG 11, which is on cities. What about building happier cities? What does a happy city look like? It looks like a place with more green spaces, a place with a greater sense of community. So Happiness is very much at the forefront of countries' sustainable development, and it's becoming more and more important on the global agenda, but also for individual countries. For instance, in the UAE, there is a Ministry of Happiness, and this has really been something that countries are looking at because even if, sadly, the economic aspect is what will convince politicians now to make a difference, unhappy people are not productive. So if this is the only way we're going to get governments to put happiness first, the economic argument already speaks for itself. So, and all that points to a brighter future, because what I've noticed is that 
when important organizations that are global like that set an agenda about priorities, very often it gets picked up at local levels and it becomes sort of the fabric of our everyday life. It's not like the UN is actually out there in some space that never touches ordinary people. I've noticed that there's a connection there between what we feel and what we pursue locally or what our leaders locally pursue. Talk to me about how we find happiness locally. Yeah, I really like this concept. And I can give you just a very specific example. What I love with the SDG movement is that you have local youth groups that are working on the SDGs, for instance. So then they're looking at at some of the different topics, such as life underwater, life on land, education, health, gender equality, food security. These are things that we face in our own communities. And I think that You know, one of the fundamental pillars of happiness is that we need a sense of love and belonging. And I really believe that as a result of the pandemic, as a result of the loneliness epidemic as well, we are desperately in search of connection and community. And so if we act at a very local level to make our communities a lovelier place to be, that is something that is so within our control if we all contribute. And it's very empowering as well to think that we can actually make our our environments a happier place to be, starting with our own. I mean, even it could be as simple as redoing your desk, optimizing your desk for happiness, your home, your street, your neighborhood, your town, your region. I think that even if it improves just for a few people at local level, that's already making a huge difference. Well, that's the trend we see is that I just see happiness popping up everywhere. You know, I recently introduced you to a wonderful thought leader, Mo Gaudat, who talks about how we've got to teach artificial intelligence happiness and that it can be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the topic of happiness is popping up everywhere. And I, I see that gosh, it starts with your desk. (laughs) Maybe it starts with just creating a little niche. Like I'm in a house that's under construction because of a terrible water catastrophe. And my little niche right here, this corner is my little happiness corner. It's everything ordered when everything out there is in chaos. (laughs) As we wrap up here, tell me about your daily routines that just keep building and building this sense of happiness. Just share a few of those with us. I love that question. And I love sharing my different routines. I I share them quite a lot. Um, I'm most active on Instagram at Bylando Journey. So you might have seen some of this on my stories, but I like to start in the morning. I have a morning routine that starts with, I use the app Calm and I do a 10 minute meditation with Calm. And then I have a journal where I start off with the things that I'm grateful for. The aim is to put three, but I easily come up with five to seven because even on the worst day, you will find that you'll always find things to be grateful for. And you really have to zoom in. And and even in some of the darkest moments of the pandemic, I found so many things like I'm grateful for the bird sitting on the branch through the window that is chirping. (laughs) I'm grateful for a blue sky. I'm grateful for the fact that I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful for the meal that I just ate. And this is probably the fastest impact on your happiness that you can find by doing this on a daily basis because no matter how bad a day you're having you're always if you make yourself you're always going to find so many things to be happy about that you'll think oh actually why was I having a bad day again so I write my my gratitudes then I write an affirmation that is or a kind of intention that is based on my monthly theme something that I may be wanting to work on so for instance if I want to feel more grounded I'll, I'll phrase something on this 
If I want to be more creative, I'll have an affirmation. So I change it every month. And then I write all the, so if I do it in the morning, then I write great things that happened yesterday. So again, even on the worst of days, I think, well, I ate that amazing slice of cake. That was really good. Oh, and I had a really nice message from that friend or whatever it was that was great. And then I have a very small section, which it only takes up one line, which is what wasn't so great. And then what's really interesting with the what wasn't so great, I've analyzed my journals over the course of a year and they're always the same things, like going to bed too late or I spent too much time on my phone, for example. But it really helps you assess your patterns of both what is really great, what makes you happy, and then what is actually impacting your happiness. So I do meditation, journaling. I usually light a candle. I do it in a very sunny part of my apartment when I'm in Lisbon, but I try and maintain it when I'm traveling. It's not always so easy, but I think that very small, consistent steps are really important. And then I, as I mentioned, I have my, on a monthly basis, I kind of plan my happiness goals based on my happiness budget. So what do I want to do this month that's going to make me happy? And then on a daily basis, I would think about using something I really enjoy doing is playing with colors. Different colors make us feel different emotions. So I usually get a fruit baskets, like bowls of oranges. If I want to feel warmth, as you can see, I have a flower right next to me here. I think decorating our desk with flowers, candles, or, or even just thing plants as well, I think are really good. Having different colors to look at, having basically curating your environment around your senses. This is something that I really like doing. So I think, what do I want to smell? What do I want to see? What do I want to taste? So I love the taste of my hot coffee in the morning. I love the sight of a beautiful flower. I want to see, when I see this kind of fuchsia pink, I think of like vibrancy. Today is going to be a vibrant day. I like having a tidy desk, but then with, yeah, just a very nice environment. Sometimes I bring over blankets and pillows and make it feel like it's a, I don't know, like I'm taking time off and of course, really good music. So I, I can't really listen to lyrics when I work, but I love putting on very relaxing playlists. It can either be classical music. It can be binaural beats that actually really help with focus. And I've also found that some mantra music can really help activate different chakras. So if you're into that kind of thing, for instance, if you're lacking motivation, I would recommend a playlist that is solar plexus activating because that's where motivation is in the body. So that's a little deep dive you could send people on. Where would people start that kind of a dive into that? That's that's something that's completely foreign to me. Well, first I would open Spotify and I would put, for instance, if ever, you know, if ever I'm in a situation where I need to work at night, I put late night work playlists. And I found this fantastic late night chill. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm in a bar. Like, this is great. Or maybe I make myself a really nice herbal tea. Or sometimes I take myself to a really nice local cocktail bar that has a good table for working and I have it with a cocktail and it feels like a night out. If I'm in that situation where sometimes with my flexible schedule, I take the day to be in the sunshine and I work at night. So that's one thing that I, I do at my desk. And then in my home, I definitely think optimizing sunlight, plants, and having colors and, and things that just really, when you see that color, you feel good. Whatever it is that just makes you feel good in your body. You know, you, you've, you've reminded me of a good topic to close on here. And this has been a, a, just a delightful conversation. I, I, we could go so many ways. I'm sure we're going to talk again, for sure. <laughs> but let's, let's end on this. I, I think this 
this paying attention to what we're optimizing for in our mm-hmm. life. It's a word that I would have never probably known had I not been in the digital world because that's what it's all about. Are we optimizing for this or optimizing for that? I never heard those words when I was just an ordinary person outside of an online geek. Okay, so if it's all about what we're optimizing for, like during when I was raising my children, everything was optimized, everything. My entire day, what music I listened to, what, what would be on the radio, when they were in the car with me, everything was optimized for raising kids that were not fearful, that were that could be grateful and be their own people. So I think I think I've been optimizing for a certain thing in my business. I optimized for connection with the dental practice, keeping the humanity in healthcare. It's definitely what we optimize for. So this thought about thinking about what we're optimizing for, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure everybody does it, but I'm not sure we think about it very carefully and how we could go in the direction that you are because you're optimizing for happiness. Absolutely. And that is the key phrase. When people think about optimization is how can I optimize my time? How can I optimize my productivity? How can I optimize my taxes? How can I optimize my savings? Why don't we start optimizing our happiness? Because this is what's most important in the end. This is it. I can tell you from being involved in the lives of thousands of people in our dental practice is that life is very fleeting. And it can be a bee sting. I have a patient that had two kids and and died of a bee sting, a tractor incident. It just goes on and on and on. And every week almost I write, I sit at my desk and I write with some tears, condolence letter. And we shouldn't need to need, we shouldn't need that constant reminder to tell us how fleeting it is. What if it was more of a pull than a push? Because what you've talked to me about today is pulling me towards really paying attention to this. It's not the threat of a short life that will make me change. It's the joy that you've, that you've put forward for us. I really like the way that you, you've presented that. Sometimes we always wait for the worst things to happen to think about our happiness. Even in my case, I was extremely sad when I made the decision to go on this dance journey that changed my life and, and, and led me to my own happiness. But what if, as you said, it's more of a pull factor. It's like, I'm going to follow my excitement. I'm going to follow my joy. I'm going to follow whatever it is that sparks something in me that I feel I can contribute to others. That makes me feel alive. That makes me feel connected. And these are the things that we want to optimize. And anything that doesn't, that's what we need to reduce. Well, okay. We're going to wrap up right there. Those are really good words to to just pause on and and give some thought to. I can't thank you enough for sharing parts of your journey and your discoveries and all that with us. So tell us exactly where people can connect with you and your work and tell us a little bit more about how, about what they're going to understand in the book, all that. Sure. So my book, Finding Rhythm and International Dance Journey is on sale wherever books are sold. You can order it from your local independent bookstore or from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, literally anywhere. You can also visit my website, bylandojourney.com. That's B-A-I-L-A-N-D-O journey.com. I'm most active on Instagram at bylandojourney where I'm sharing happiness in daily life. I always share different practices to optimize happiness. And on my website, you will also find my free happiness workbook with seven steps to happiness to get you rethinking about your dreams. And I also work with people in designing their own happiness blueprint and happiness journeys, which is something I'm very passionate about. And to end with some final words, I I just want to remind everyone that it's, it's a difficult argument, but happiness is a choice and we all have the courage inside us to make that choice. Lovely. 
Absolutely lovely. Well, Alinor, thank you so much for sharing this with the Conspiracy of Goodness. You are part of it. You are <laughs> you're a charter member of the Conspiracy of Goodness out there leading. Thank you so, so much. Um, anything that Alinor and I mentioned is going to be in the show notes. So if you want any of the links that we talked about, you're going to find them there. And remember to check out the Goodness Exchange. What we've done there is we've brought together all the thinking, the thought leaders were discovering, the thousand articles that we've written about people like Eleanor who prove that it is still an amazing world. And there you can find ways to discover and cultivate your own journey to do what you are uniquely built to contribute. And we hope that the Goodness Exchange becomes the place where people like us connect because that's what we need, the sense of community that Eleanor has been talking about through this whole chat. So thank you. I hope all the connections she and I have shared with you of goodness and progress carry you through your week and you will find the joy and wonder that uh, Eleanor is so in a lovely way pointing to. Have a great one.